Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Todd Henry. Todd is founder of Accidental Creative and has worked with some of the world's biggest brands and companies on developing creativity, leadership, and a passion for work. As a speaker and trainer, Todd teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to everyday brilliance. Man, I wish we had more of that. He's a best-selling author of five books, most recently, The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces That Drive Your Best Work. Todd, welcome to the show. Joe, it's great to be here. So what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that it's far more effective and enjoyable to discover what motivates you and bring that to your work rather than waiting for your work to motivate you. So motivation is a sticky subject. And in the book, you identified 27 motivation codes. We were talking before, and thanks for, by the way, giving me some couch time and helping me understand (laughs) myself a little bit better. Uh, Why is it that it's so important for us to decode our motivation drivers? So we all engage in behavior throughout the course of our life and our work and our collaborations uh, and our leadership that, you know, we experience it, we, we engage in this behavior, but we often don't step back to ask why. Why do I tend to take on this kind of project? Why do I always seem to find uh, a team member who's underperforming and make them my personal project, right? Why do I always tend to take on the most challenging work, even though there are plenty of other people who could take it on and I'm already overburdened as it is? We all engage in these kinds of behavior, but we often don't step back to ask ourselves why, and what we discovered, and by the way, this, this work that I wrote about in the Motivation Code is based on over 50 years of research. We looked at over 100,000 people from all walks of life, analyzed over a million achievement stories. And what we discovered, as you mentioned, is there are about 20, well, there are exactly 27 different ways that people talk about those moments of peak achievement, those moments of peak motivation. And what we discovered is even more compelling was that they used very similar language. Uh, and so when people experience something meaningful, when you experience a, a project that was especially satisfying, even if it failed, maybe it was really satisfying for you to work on that project, or maybe you're in a team setting and something happens, you think, wow, that was kind of a peak moment that sticks in your mind. There's a reason why that moment stuck in your mind or why that achievement was so meaningful. And that's what we call your motivation code. Your motivation code is the Uh, It's almost like a padlock, right? A padlock combination that unlocks your motivation. And once you discover it, you can bring that to your work instead of waiting for or wishing for your work to motivate you. What I found interesting about this is that it gets kind of granular. And by getting granular, we sometimes reach these unexpected conclusions about what really moves us. I know I was surprised a bit to discover that my motivation code was complex. Do you find that people are often surprised by what they learn from this code? Yeah, people are surprised and sometimes frustrated by what they learn. Uh, sometimes they are angry about what they learn. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. it's not what they want or wish for it to be. But then once you really dive in, especially in conversation uh, with, with people about their motivation code, they often say, oh, that 
makes so much sense. It's almost like a photograph developing in a dark room, right? Like once, once it gets there, once it finally, you can finally see the image developing. It's like, Oh, I got it. Right. It sort of clicks for them. But um, you know, some people, you know, people want to be motivated by things sometimes that are, seen as kind of the cool motivating factors, right? Like Excel, like I want to be the person who's driven to Excel and be better than everybody. Well, that's not everyone, right? Some people are driven by something we call make the grade, which means I want to prove that I'm a part of the team. I want to prove that I belong in a group in some capacity. Some people are driven by something we call meet the challenge, which is I just want a personal discrete challenge in front of me, something, a small project I can tackle and sort of like, and do it. And it's going to push me, but I'm going to do it. It's going to be hard, but when it's over, I'm going to feel deeply gratified. You know, there's some people who are motivated in, in those ways. Um, and, you know, sometimes people don't like, for example, sometimes people don't like uh, that they're motivated by something that we call be central, which means that they want to be close to where the decisions are being made. They have to be in the room where it happens, right? In Hamilton parlance, they don't like that because it feels selfish. But listen, we need people who are motivated to be central. We need people who are motivated to make decisions, to be around the decisions, right? To be, to be uh, influencers. And so, Again, once we, there are no bad motiv motivations. All the motivations are useful. They're all helpful. They're all beneficial. And once we learn how we're uniquely wired, we can begin to, to bring that to our work. I would imagine this is useful for leaders too, because we tend to think about motivation in terms of motivating our team, motivating our customers, our stakeholders as a series of carrots and sticks. But it occurs to me that understanding our motivation code transforms that whole equation to career and yardsticks. You know, yeah. the progress that we experience over time and the sense of accomplishment that we make with time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I love that. And, and what you just mentioned about carrots and sticks is so um, insightful because most of the research in motivation, you know, sort of parses motivation into these two categories. This goes back to something called self-determination theory, which is the work of Dietschy and Ryan back in the you know, 70s and continuing to today. But they parsed motivation into these two categories, intrinsic and extrinsic, right? Extrinsic motivation being basically what we think of as like, you know, the, the external forces like pay raises and promotions and, um, you know, uh, titles and flexibility and things like that. Intrinsic motivators being those sort of self-pride, you know, drivers kind of things, you know, there's, there's kind of like, we want self-starter kind of people. Um, what the research actually revealed that most people don't know about is that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are not discrete. They're not unique entities. That intrinsic and extrinsic motivation actually modify one another. So the way that I respond to that carrot or to that stick is going to be very different from the way that you respond to that carrot or to that stick. So for example, let's say that you and I are both motivated by um, uh, a pay raise, right? It's our manager gives us a pay raise. For you, that motivator might, you might be motivated by that because it proved that you excelled in some way. You know, that pay raise is a signifier that you were better than the people around you because you're motivated by Excel, for example. For me, it could be as somebody motivated to collaborate that I'm going to be invited into a team. Now I get to be a part of a team because 
along with the pay raise came a promotion. I'm going to get invited into a team to be able to um, collaborate with others I've, I've always wanted to collaborate with. And the money is fine, but what it signifies to me and what motivates me about it is much different than what motivates you. This is why managers, leaders often get motivation wrong. We think it's the thing. We think it's the carrot or the stick that's motivating people, but it's not. It's not. It's their unique response to that extrinsic force that's actually motivating them. And once we understand that, right, not only individually, but also as a leader, as a manager, once we understand that, we can begin to interact with that person. We can begin to shape the environment in such a way that it's going to be naturally appealing and motivating to that person. We can at least have meaningful conversations about ways we might be standing in the way of what motivates them. If that person's driven to collaborate, I probably don't want to stick them in the back corner, you know, doing paperwork for seven hours a day. That's probably not a good idea, right? They're going to, why are they always wandering around the office talking to people? Well, it's because they're naturally, they're, it's not that they're blowing off their work. It's that they're naturally wired to collaborate, right? And so we need to, to find ways of doing that. So I think your observation is really astute. Um, we each have those unique ways of responding to extrinsic stimulus. And once we understand them, it changes everything. In your research, does it seem that motivation is something that is fluid or fixed? In other words, does the motivation code that we possess appear the same way all the time, or does it evolve with time? It's a really interesting question. And we've actually been doing this long enough now that we've been able to test and retest people over long periods of time. What we've discovered is, Motivation, the motivation, uh, motivational uh, drivers that you experienced 10 years ago are very likely to be similar to the motivational drivers you're experiencing today. So for example, um, in, the, in the assessment, we asked people to share three stories. You took the assessment. Um, they could be from any, any time in your life, any area of your life. It doesn't matter. One of mine, when I took the assessment, was from high school. One of them was from my professional life. One of them was from a personal experience I had a handful of years ago. Um, and what's interesting is the thing that motivated me in that high school experience is very similar to the thing that motivated me later in my life as well. Um, and that the assessment actually bore that out, that that's actually, there were very similar drivers. What we discovered is there might be some shakeup in your top five or seven or 10 motivational drivers. So for example, your number one might be your number three you know, when you retake it in five or seven years and your number two might be number four and your number six might be number five, right? But generally speaking, something that motivated you 10 years ago is not going to suddenly drop to the bottom of the list, right? It's not like all of a sudden, like you love to collaborate and then all of a sudden now collaboration is your number 26. You know, that's probably not going to happen. Um, so it's pr pretty exciting to see that. We like to say that, you know, your motivation tends to be unchanging. It tends to be persistent throughout multiple circumstances and different kinds of uh, engagements in your life as well. It's not just, you know, I'm motivated one way in my work life. I'm motivated a different way in my personal relationships. It, it tends to be consistent throughout your life as well. Mm -hmm. So it'll show up in different contexts, but more or less in the same form. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now you spend a lot of time thinking about creativity. You work with companies on the, how to become more creative and find that everyday brilliance, which I love by the way. A big motivator for creatives, especially really for everybody, but especially creatives, is this sense of external validation mm -hmm. that our creative work uh, is being recognized. And there's a tension, I imagine, between the the true north, our motivation code to produce really creative things and to bring big creative ideas out there into the world, 
and then at the same time following someone else's directive on how that creativity is best expressed. When it comes to creativity and motivation and that intersection, how can we make sure that we're following our true north without compromising our code? It's a great question. And this is, so this is the real challenge, right? We need to think about our life as a portfolio of passions, meaning, yeah, ideally we get to express some of that true north, some of those motivational aptitudes through our job, for sure, unquestionably. Are we going to have to do things we don't like? Absolutely. But hopefully more and more we can navigate toward a place where we're doing more and more of the kinds of things that we generally like to do and are motivated to do. And at the same time, we need to have outlets in our life that are not consumed by our job, that allow us to express ourselves in ways that, you know, in places where nobody's looking over our shoulder, nobody's judging us, nobody's paying us. It's just giving us an opportunity to express ourselves in ways that we find deeply gratifying. So I was a full-time musician, you know, way back in the day. And now that's just sort of like a sideline for me, because that's how I keep my creative energies stoked is by having these side creative projects, because now what used to be a side project is like how I get paid. And so what does that mean? That means sometimes I have to do things I don't want to do because I have to do them to get paid, not just, you know, for the fun of it. Right. Uh, and so I, I just encourage people like, listen, the goal, the ambition uh, is to, as Cal Newport put it, to earn career capital that you can spend on having greater flexibility as you progress in your career. I think that's a fantastic way of thinking about it. So hopefully you're navigating more and more to the kind of work you want to do every day. And at the same time, never depend on your job to be the sum total of your creative fulfillment. That is a recipe for disaster. You have to have other kinds of things in your portfolio of passion to allow that expression. I love that. If people are motivated to go learn more about you and your work, where can they go? So I would encourage you to listen to the Axon Creative Podcast. Obviously, your audience are people who listen to podcasts. Uh, since 2005, we've been delivering weekly tips on how to be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. So check that out where you listen, listen to podcasts. And then uh, my personal site is toddhenry.com or my company site is accidentalcreative.com. It's a great wish. And go out there, folks, and find your true north. Todd, thanks for sharing your wish with us today. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.